This is ASIN, the Association for the Study of Ethnicity and Nationalism. To find out more, visit asin.ac.uk. the chance to present my research here. Uh, I need to be as clear as possible that what I'm presenting today is about as preliminary as you can get. It's, it's more of a research design than a research product. Um, the past few years I've been more focused on the, the project that you mentioned on NATO Afghanistan, which is mostly about how do countries control the militaries uh, in distant lands. This returns back to my more traditional work, which is why do countries take sides on people's ethnic conflict? Uh, and in the course of that research, diasporas frequently came up as a topic. Uh, questions were raised about the Hungarian Americans being seen as being a problem for Hungarians, whether those are Hungarians in Hungary or Hungarians in Romania, but they were seen as being uh, naive, romantic, uh, lost in the past. But what really motivates this project is that uh, diasporas were poorly understood that in the world, we have many, 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 many segments of peoples who've left their home country, moved to a new place. Most of the research that we see in this area focuses on the most visible cases where those segments become mobilized, organized, politically relevant, and often extreme that they support violence. Uh, so if you read works of the diaspora, ten the tendency in political science literature anyway, is to emphasize Jewish Americans, Irish Americans, when they used to be supporting violence with Ireland, um, Cuban Americans. You notice there's an American-centric kind of uh, approach to a lot of the diaspora work. Although Tamil Canadians have gotten a lot of attention for supporting the Tamil Tigers. Uh, Armenians in a variety of places. And what we haven't seen are the dogs that haven't barked. Citing Sherlock Holmes, um, that in my previous book on paradentism, I was very careful exploring or to look at cases that where paradentism did happen, uh, which would be Armenia, Croatia, Serbia, where paradentism could have happened, Greater Russia, Greater Romania, Greater Hungary. Uh, well, in the diaspora literature, there's the same problem of focusing on the most visible cases, and so we don't really know what causes some diasporas to mobilize, while others do not. So that's the essential notion. It leads to having a very, very big ambition because you have to study things that haven't happened. You have to study groups that may exist but haven't really organized as groups, or groups that have organized but have not um, put forth a really strong political agenda, or groups that have organized with a really strong political agenda but haven't actually supported violence. Uh, so it's a big task, and the basic idea of this project uh, with Kathleen Cunningham at, at Maryland and Aaron Jenny at uh, Century Green University is to try to code all diasporic segments in the developed democracies and see that way we can figure out whether variations amongst democracies matter, presidentialism versus parliamentarism, federalism versus not federalism, different kinds of laws regulating immigration, different histories of immigration, different lengths of history about immigration, uh, whether those cross-national variations might matter. However, that's really hard to collect data in all these different segments around the world. 
And again, we're just restricting to advanced democracies. That's essentially Western Europe, United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Japan. Uh, you know, if we find ourselves actually being really productive and giving lots of money, then maybe we can expand it to other countries. Thus far, all we've done is up the United States, and we're not quite done with the United States. The good news is the United States is going to be the hardest country to code, really, even though the resources of information are good. There are just so many groups that have emigrated the United States. Uh, Japan will be very easy to code, by contrast. Um, let me save that for last. That's easy. <sighs> okay, Japan. All right. Um, now, the status is that we're mostly done with the United States. I think I, we may be done. I've got to talk to my coders. <laughs> Uh, in the next couple weeks, when I go back to Montreal, where they, I left them behind when I moved to, to Ottawa, and figure out where we stand. But we should be done with the United States case. So what we'll try to do is publish off the United States case, and then code the Canadians, the Brits, and, and so on. Um, and so hopefully we'll start seeing output sooner or later. Uh, what we mean by a diaspora segment is any ethnic group that has immigrated is a potential diaspora. So again. Ethnic groups. What is an ethnic group? Well, we have definitions all over the place. Uh, what we're doing is we're taking the data set that Fear and Leighton had, where they published a variety of pieces on what counts as an ethnic group and uh, whatnot. And we take that, we took that list, um, and then shrunk it down to around 250, 280, because not every group that is an ethnic group in the world is present in the United States. And other challenges is they may not identify as that group that was listed in the Fair and Data Set. Maybe the two or three different groups that were listed in the Fair and Data Set all have a shared identity. Whether that's Kurds or um, I'm trying to remember some of the other ones that we, we, we put together. But if you went through country by country, you'll find that there's a bunch of, country, a bunch of groups that there's a challenge in building any data set based on something as malleable as ethnicity is that there's always multiple identities. And so we've had to figure out which one do we think is the right level. Um, anyway, so that's, that's the first thing. That's what we're looking at. Mobilization is a sizable portion of the diaspora engaged in politics. Are they organized around ways that deal with their homeland? We find and we code groups that just have dance organizations. We know it exists in the United States because they've organized to to have dance or music from their homeland in the United States. We know they exist, so that's important. We just want to see what groups that exist, but then don't mobilize. So if they, if we can see them, whether they exist. But for us, the question then becomes, do they self-identify? Do they have political organizations? Do they have media? One of the challenges has been what counts as media these days, because it used to be, wow, this diaspora had a radio station or radio program. That's evidence of them really trying hard. Uh, or they had newspapers, lots of you know, diasporas were ranging. Some would have one newspaper, some would have 150. And so, since we're trying to code from roughly, I want to say, the Cold War to 2010, we emphasize more traditional media. These days, it's very easy. We can just go online and go, okay, this group has a, has a web page. Does that really count as anything? Well, it could just be some kid in a, in a, in a basement posted a web page. That doesn't really require political mobilization. But so, we're going to have to figure out if we continue to do this but how to count that kind of stuff. Do they lobby? Do they approach politicians? Do they have lobbyists? Do they have lobbying organization? Uh, how extensive are their lobbying efforts? And then what are they demanding? Are they, are they trying to fund violence.com? Are they sending guns and money and mercenaries? 
back to Kosovo, back to Croatia, back to wherever. Uh, so that's the basic idea of what we're trying to do, is, is try to get information on this. The, the question then becomes, what do we think matters? What are, what are the theories? Uh, so first of all, I'll present a few of the alternatives, then I'll present the one that we're arguing. Some of the literature out there argues that diasporas in the host country are more concerned about maintaining themselves, maintaining their identity. And so activity towards the homeland is more about them, is, is self-centered, it's not other-centered. It's not about, oh, we really care about the Jews in Israel, or we really care about the Tamils in, in Sri Lanka, or whatnot. It's about maintaining one's own identity. Uh, so we consider in terms of, of, for this hypothesis, how important is it to, identify, to protect your identity, or how distinct are you? The basic idea that if you're less distinct ethnically, you'll actually have to be more engaged in foreign policy to try to prove that you exist. Uh, so we code groups on whether, you know, how are they, are they white or not white? Are they Christian, not Christian? You know, are, this will change from country to country, but in the United States, that person still more or less is white and Christian. Uh, also, were you forced to immigrate? Uh, because that might have a, uh, an important effect. Because if you're forced to immigrate, that probably shapes your policy preferences than whether you just voluntarily left for economic purposes. Uh, on the one hand, it means your identity is pretty strong. On the other hand, it means that you actually have motivation. So it, it could go in either direction, but we, we want to take a look at that variable. The second argument is, it's mobilized, but not by threats to you as an individual in your in your host country, but are the kin in danger? The diasporas will be responding to threats to their kin. So it's more likely to have uh, the Tamils will get more activity, because, and particularly towards the end, you'd think, because of the, the threat they faced of, of uh, mass killings and repression by, by the Sunni majority. Um, so there's all kinds of variables that we were building in the data set that will focus on are the kin abroad in danger? Uh, for instance, when I was looking at air debts in Eastern Europe, it was pretty clear the Hungarian Americans and Hungarian and Hungary in general were spending a lot more time talking about the hung Hungarians uh, in Romania and Slovakia, particularly times where, where Romania and Slovakia were developing policies that were fairly repressive of those minorities. Uh, and then they started talking more about the Serbs, the, hung the, the Hungarians in Serbia. They never spent much time talking about Hungarians in Austria, uh, United States, other places. So the focus was on the uh, Hungarians that were in danger. Um, so anyway, so one possibility could be that it's the threats. What our argument essentially is, is that there's always going to be people in these groups who are concerned about the Hungarians one reason or another, whether the kin are in danger or not. But whether they become organized will depend on their capacity, on the structure of the political system, on the structure of their ethnic group. Are they wealthy? Are they politically concentrated? Every study of ethnic conflict within countries shows that group concentration matters. The groups that are concentrated are more likely to engage in violence. So does that matter for the international relations of it? Does a concentrated group more likely to have people talking to each other, convincing each other how important their kin are and organizing rather than being dispersed. Uh, how much autonomy do they have? This is a really important question, because when we speak about the Tunnel Tigers, or the Tunnels in Canada, that's probably a pointing slip. Uh, when we speak about uh, Tunnels in Canada, the real question was, how independent are they from the Tunnel Tigers? 
because there were protection rackets in, in Toronto uh, where young tunnel males would knock on doors and say, you care about your kin abroad, right? Give money. Uh, there was some, a similar dynamic in New York, 90, 97, 98, where the Coastal Liberation Army was trying to raise money uh, as well, that the Albanian community in New York faced some pressure. Uh, another variable is distance. And we'll, right now, because we're still in the United States, we can't really test for these too much because most groups are similarly distant. Uh, but in the institutions of the host, that's the United States, with the first run analyses, it's not going to vary. Our ambition is to be able to test that. That requires a lot of work. We've done some analyses. I'm not going to show you much of it at all because the data that was based on has changed a lot. This is before amalgamation. It was only a third of the data that had been collected. It was pretty interesting, but we have no clue as to, you know, it has less substance than whatever poll we hear about, you know, being run by the Republicans about how successful Romney is doing today. Um, so what we did kind of find is that preservation, that is, trying to maximize identity, mattered less than capacity. Um, but we don't really know. So what we need to do is finish the data set, which we're close to being done doing, and then build, and we've been building in the variables for distance, for, for the danger of the kin. Um, and what we need to do is, is add more countries. As I said, we'll probably do Canada next because we probably can get money from the Canadian government to study these diasporas because they understand that these are ethnic groups that are engaged. Some of them are engaged in transnational networks that might include financing, might include guns, weapons. And so there's a security interest on part of the government so we can perhaps get some grant money that way. Um, and then again, we'll go on and on and on. Uh, so this is a this is a, the biggest, most ambitious project I, I've pursued. Uh, so we'll see. We'll, eventually, we'll publish pieces of it. Hopefully, we'll get to the end of it. Uh, but I wouldn't expect a book for another five or ten years, uh, which means I got to focus on things more productive. Um, what do we need to do? Well, the first thing we need to do in this, besides completing all the data, is we need better theory because in our initial results, it seemed to be the case that when we use dependent variables to focus on mobilization, we often got different results than when we focus on extremism. So there might be dynamics, forces, factors that cause groups to mobilize, but not mobilize in, in terms of extremism. And so we need to think through why that might be the case. Because usually, when we have multiple different variables, we think that our core hypotheses all produce the same sort of reaction, whether it's showing up, showing up in big size, showing up with guns. Whether that's any study about the conflict, usually we'll think of, you know, more is more, not different. So there is a suggestion, at least in the first analyses, that there are hints of, of different dynamics that... Being violent or supporting violence is distinct from just showing up and having protests or just having organizations. So that's something we got to think about. Uh, we're finishing the U.S. case. Uh, we'll go to the, the rest of the Anglosphere. Just so we have a nice common group of countries that have similar institutions, similar experiences. Uh, and three out of the four are immigrant countries. Well, actually, the fourth is two, but not really. I mean... 
uh, lots of immigrants in 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 the United Kingdom, but Canada, Australia, New Zealand, fundamentally run by immigrants. Uh, so we'll see if that makes a difference. Um, and then once we do that, we'll add in Europe and, as I said, Japan, because uh, again, the, the time span is basically from, I think, from uh, 1990 to 2010. It might actually go into a little bit into the Cold War. Uh, I haven't been eyeballing the data as carefully as I should be, because right now they're coding um, other stuff. Um, so this is what I got. I'd be interested in hearing your feedback about this, because as I said, it's a very much project emotion. Um, and I got the invitation to come here last week, so I couldn't whip up anything fancier than this. So let me let me know what you think about this, and, and uh, perhaps I can fix, you can help me fix the problems before they get too big. Thank you very much. Uh, we need more or less half an hour for questions and answers. If you have questions, please. Yes. Stephen, can I, can I ask two points of clarification? Sure. Please? So first of all, your groups, um, are you are you putting together, for example, Hungarians, and when you look at Hungarians in America, yeah. are these Hungarians from like all different countries, and they constitute one group? So Hungarians from Hungary, as well as Hungarians from Slovakia? Yeah, that's the tricky thing, is, is how do we do that? Yeah. And um, in general, we do distinguish between the Hungarians from, actually, uh, in the first round we distinguished between the Hungarians from Hungary and the Hungarians from beyond Hungary. Um, I want to say, I want to say the way we've coded it now, what we're counting are only the Hungarians in the diaspora, not the Hungarians in Hungary. Because the, the, the mobilization would not be about, you know, trying to help the Hungarians in Hungary. The, no, the Hungarians in, in the U.S. Are, are mobilized into into activity that's directed at the Hungarians in Romania, Slovakia, Ukraine, all those. So those would all be bundled into one category or one one dyad: Hungarians in the United States, Hungarians in the around, but not in Hungary. Because I mean, the second question was when you're looking at capacity, for example, when you say, when you, when you say institution of the host, what do you mean by the, the institution? So this would be the institution of the United States institutions, right? Okay. So in the end, we'll have variation. Right now, we don't. Okay. But the, one of the questions is, all, almost all the literature on the foreign policy dynamics of the diaspora is about the United States, which means that everybody's dealing with the same battleground. That is, Congress, campaign finance is the same way, um, elections every two years, federal system, all those kinds of things that might empower diasporas in the United States, but might make them irrelevant in a country where parties matter a whole lot more and individual representatives matter a whole lot less. So, for instance, in Canada, in a lot of ways, individual members of parliament don't matter politically, and trying to lobby one individual member of, of parliament is not going to have the same kind of impact as, as influencing John McCain. Um, so, what we want to do ultimately is compare the institutions of the host, because we think that should matter in empowering. Uh, one thing we can, we may build in, but we haven't done thus far, is is code the where the the home country is, the, where they came from. What is it democratic or is it not democratic? Because one could imagine that you're not going to lobby as much to anticipating some comments. Because um, uh, you might not be as concerned about the plight of of your relatives in democracies. Although we found that you know democracies can repress ethnic groups. 
Uh, so they're not immune. So we would still want to keep in variables about repression. Um, yeah, that's the way I mean, just sorry, just an, an, an autonomy when you're looking at autonomy. So, for example, the Hungarians, are you talking about autonomy where? Okay, yeah, I, I ran through this very quickly. Uh, autonomy means is the diaspora in the United States autonomous from the homeland? You would think that most diasporas have nothing to do with homeland. They're active to it, but not controlled from the homeland. But there's reasonable suspicion that the Tamil diaspora, for instance, in Canada, was mostly organized and run by the Tamil Tigers. We're trying to understand whether you're mobilized going home, you know, in the host to direct your activity to the home country, but we've got to control for the possibility that some groups are, gonna, are not going to have agency, or not much agency, because they're more or less the creatures of their, of their, 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 their whatever groups that are in the homeland. But there is an issue, I and mean, there is no, there might not be a single homeland. I mean, many of the yes. diaspora groups, yes. Armenians come from, you know, all the former Soviet republics. That's right. Hungarians um, come from. Yes. Armenia. And so that's, that's the, this has been a real problem for us because if we, it's a, it, this just shows why this project is so very hard. Because the trade-off is that if we amalgamate all the Armenians in the United States, it means. That we can't, and how do we figure out what they're reacting to? Are they reacting to events in Azerbaijan, Armenia, Turkey, wherever? On the other hand, very f this is the real challenge we got. We started doing it the way that you were imagining, but then we had to change it because how do you find the Turkish Armenians in the United States versus the Armenian Armenians versus the you know, Azerbaijani Armenians? That was impossible to code, ultimately. So, in the end, it's going to be mostly about our diaspora is mobilized if, and then for the variables about the homeland, it's going to be if they have multiple homelands. So it's the highest value, the, the greatest risk. So if they have four homelands and one of them is in fire, then we're going to expect them to be more mobilized than if there's four homelands and all of them are kind of difficult but not, not as dangerous. And we're going to do, we're going to, those variables we can look at in multiple ways, whether it's the average of all the homelands, or the maximum, we'll look at it a couple different ways, because we don't theoretically have a, we don't have a good theoretical reason to think that, you know, three countries were at a five level of rebellion, is to be better, we get more or less activity than one country that's at a nine, make up numbers. Uh, but if you had the idea, the, the basic notion is, is that when you combine all these host, host, no, I'm sorry, home. I hate when they have the same first letter. Uh, the, all these home countries have varying levels of violence. How do you combine that into one thing? Uh, but we had to because ultimately coding the diasporas in the host became impossible in terms of trying to figure out, okay, these are, these are the Armenians from Azerbaijan. How do we know that? You know, some groups will self-identify that way, but most won't. The other problem was you had groups that were, you know, we were looking for Sikh Indians, but a lot of them were just joining Indian organizations. So we had to figure out which ones were really diasporas and which ones had already sort of identified with a broader identity. Again, this is, this is why it's taking time. Well, great questions. Thank you. And I'll have to take some questions. Um, I had a question. This, this may be nonsense, so feel free to shoot me down. And I'm not sure this even actually makes sense. But how do you deal with internal diasporas? So I'm thinking, just looking at the case, the what you have there, uh, Quebecois and other French Canadians in Canada, Welsh, 
Northern Irish and Scots in the UK, the Basques in Spain and France, uh, and so on. Is that something that can be picked up by this? No. Um, we could, and we, um, I would say we probably do code Basques in the United States, you know, Basque United States towards whether do what towards Spain. Mm -hmm. uh, we will, we would code Basque Canadians, uh, Basques in France towards Spain. Basque, you know, once we go country by country. There'll be plenty of Basques to code, but we would not be coding Basques in Spain towards Spain because that uh, we're looking at we're trying to understand foreign policy. We're trying to understand international relations. Mm -hmm. um, and while the country, the, the internal diasporas would like to think of that as interna international relations, it's not for our purposes. Sorry, so the, Basques, okay. the Basques in France are not diasporas. They're not diasporas. They've never moved. Well, that's that, that's a good point. Uh, I was well, just the, throwing the, that out, but the, the groups that had moved. Or groups that had been formed by not moving, but like the Hungarian case of the boundaries moving under them. We kept but those. But that's, that's not diasporas. I mean, that's a completely different concept that we're talking about. You know, I mean, we're talking about minorities. I mean, we're talking about national minorities or whatever. I mean, you're not talking. I mean, diaspora, you, you are talking, you are looking at groups that have moved. That no longer, they have, there's been. They're no longer the homeland. And so I, I, I want to say that. Or is it, is it, they've moved to the borders of. That's a good Sorry. question. I, again, I've been focused on other projects. I can't. I can't give you a hundred percent certainty on this. And we haven't. Done, I mean, it hasn't been relevant because we're talking about right now. We've been thinking about the American cases. So you know, the, the only ones that would matter for that would be Native Americans or or or, or Mexican Americans. And we we haven't. We're not coding Mexican Americans as being. Well, they're diaspora, but they're not. Yeah, folks. Anyway. Um, Sorry. Well, yeah. I mean, I think we have a fairly broad definition of diaspora, so I think it probably does include cases where the boundary moved uh, because they are no longer a part of their the homeland as de defined by international relations by boundaries. Uh, this is something that actually we're probably going to have to go through and make sure we get right because we'll, we, we, we can certainly do it both ways. Um, so why I present this stuff? Because there might be different, there might be different dynamics. There might not be different dynamics. Um, so we could easily—that's something we easily code—and then run the analysis with them out and see whether, as people conventionally define diasporas, is that different than the way than if we throw in all these groups where they made, were made diasporas by international treaties. Um, well, I think that in the case where there are made diasporas, I think it depends because the first theory is based on self-identification, right? Mm -hmm. So if, they, if the group is a group has stayed in the same place, but the boundary has moved on them, if they now identify with the new country, then they would be a diaspora identified this definition. So I, I don't know if you're looking at that too, because they might, you know, like Polish people in Germany might self-identify as German and Polish, and then you would have even though the border moved them. Yeah, no, this, this is one of the challenges of trying to, as we're coding each group, try to figure out, okay, who do they identify with? And, and so we do some, we do a fair amount of research to figure out, do they perceive themselves as being X? So again, the case of, the, of various groups that we thought would identify as being subunit, you know, some specific unit that is from India, but not consider themselves Indians, but the more we study those groups, in the United States, they consider themselves Indians first rather than being Bengalis or, or, 
whatever uh, identity you can think of. Um, and so that was a real challenge for the coding, was trying to figure out, okay, how much evidence do we need to figure out where they're identifying? And again, it's not, in any group, you might have 75 or 80% of the people identifying as X, and 20% saying, no, 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 or, or Y. And that's a, that's a challenge for us. But we try to be sensitive <coughs> as we're coding the data set from year to year. But it's, it's, a, it's a real challenge. And along that same, what you just said, I think it, it seems like it would be hard to quantify or code preservation versus capacity when it comes to mobilization. Because what if you feel very strongly, passionately, ideologically that you're but you don't have the capacity to mobilize in that way? Well, when we think about preservation, we're thinking about threats to their identity. So, are there changes? Uh, when do you come over? Is there a new? Is there a new wave of immigration that's going to cause you not to have to worry about your identity? Because suddenly you have a group of your brethren have come across, and they're all threatened. And so everybody—Albanian Americans didn't have their identity threatened in 1999. They didn't have to worry about that because suddenly there's more immigrants, and they're all being reminded of what their identity is. So it's not an identity preservation. Uh, uh, so I, th I think in terms of the coding of it, when we think about preservation, we're thinking about how distinct you are um, and compared to, to the average American. Uh, again, some things are, are fairly constant. As, as the average member of the group, were they forced to leave? These are things that are kind of static. Um, one thing that does change is time since departure. So we expect groups that have been in the United States in this round, Canada in the next round, so forth. Five years, 10 years, 50 years, 100 years. Uh, in some ways, you expect the older groups to be more mobilized, both because they have, you know, it'll be hard to tease out because they have more capacity. They've been around longer. They probably uh, moved up from the immigrant class to middle class and have more resources to, to fund administrative assistance to have organizations that are robust um, versus groups that just came across so they don't have that. So, I mean, there, there's some things that can push in different directions, and we've got to try to tease that out. How, how do you, on that, how do you handle waves of immigration? If you've got a group that's been around for 100 years, but people keep arriving every 20 years? We have multiple variables, one for when they started and one for the most recent, and then we can run both, and then we can run interactions. Mm -hmm. I'm dreaming for the day where we actually try to tease these things out. Right now, it's just like collecting the data. But yeah, that, that's an important thing, is because you could have, you would expect that an organization that has had multiple waves to be much more organized and probably much more you know, supportive of violence than the one that's been around forever and has gotten used to it in the United States and become a board in the next case, Canada, whatever. And, but if it become assimilated versus a group that just came across. And so they, they're really interested, but they might not have any capacity. So it might be that some of these arguments, you know, I, I, I put up three stylized arguments that are in opposition, but there might be some interesting interactions between, between uh, identity and capacity. Um, are you looking at also how integrated the host country is? Because certain countries, for example, like France is a lot less willing to have different groups as compared to Canada. So, like, how does that host country treat their institution? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, this is one set of institutions we have to look at. It's not just about federal, you know, I come at it from a sort of a standard set of uh, 
expectations about what allows lobbying. So that would be about parliament. It would be about campaigning finance, those kinds of things. But also, what are the regulations on immigration? Um, if, for instance, you're a country that it's very hard to become a citizen, that might that would affect your capacity. Um, are you coming from a country? You know, is it a country or you are a diaspora that can return home? If you can return home easily, that probably diminishes your interest in mobilizing. Because why sink so much effort in mobilizing, you know, organizing in, in the United States or Canada or Australia when you're going home in five years anyway? Um, and one thing we, we try to think about was remittances. There's a lot of data on remittance, but it's not yearly. And it, you, know, you, see, you either study something one year, and hope that that's a typical year, uh, or you study a couple slices, but we've got to think about that as well. So, but yeah, absolutely, those kinds of regulations. And I've got to have my co-authors work on that because I know nothing about immigration <coughs> regulations. Uh, but, but once we start doing country by country comparisons, and also when things change over time. So if the United States changes its immigration policies, which it does every however often, that might matter as well. Exactly. If 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 they can't go home. If they can only go home if they've sworn never to speak up, then that would probably lead to more mobilization in, in the host country. Uh, so that's something we have to figure out as well. You might you might be able to capture that by looking at whether the the group has their ethnic kin has a, has a, is in power. You know, like the more um, have a homeland to go to, mm -hmm. or if they're also minorities. Mm -hmm. um, yes. No, we we that, that's something that we've got to think about as well. Like the Tall Tigers don't have a. There's no, no homeland for them anymore, no. Uh, so, good news is our study stops before it happened. Uh, but uh, that's something we have to think about. Is, is that there, again, we have, we have some indicators for what the condition is the homeland is. Uh, but the end of the political movement that they're supporting is as well something we had considered before because movements usually just don't go away. The IRA is still around. So the question for me would be really, what's, are we considered tunnel tigers uh, no longer in existence in five years, or they, will they reemerge? I'm skeptical that they, that, that they will go and gone away forever. The Kurds, for example, unless you consider, for example, you know, the, the autonomous region of Iraq as, as a potential destination for them. Yeah. No, I, and so, that, so the question for us would be, at least in the study, okay, we've coded all the ones. Well, how would we code that potential homeland? Is, is that means that the average safety of the Kurds has increased because they that, because they're now safe in Iraq, in Kurdistan, yeah, this, you know, again, this gets to the we can code on based on per country. So if there's five potential homelands and four now safe, but one is still Syria, then chances are you you know the agenda of the Kurdish Americans, Kurdish Canadians, the British Kurd associations, their agendas will have changed. They're now more focused on Syria than Iraq, but they might. Now, of course, there's other things going on, which is, there are other things that we haven't been able to capture, which is that maybe the predominant British associations are mostly from the Kurds from Iraq, and so they don't care about the Syrian Kurds. And that's something, that's something we can get at. 
effort and so when we've taken a group from 10 or different pieces of other countries then we have that data so we can use that to say okay those groups that we've done this to are they going to be similar or different from the kind of groups that are clearly you know, Cuban Americans so we didn't have to do anything with the Cuban Americans they they're from Cuba there's nothing you know we don't have to think about Cuban Americans from you know Haiti they're Cuban Americans pretty straightforward um, so that, that, that's something we can do. Uh, regarding these uh, groups' potential radicalization, uh, it is not understood that the research will also focus on the causal relations between mobilization and extremism. Uh -huh. uh, do you intend to uh, include in your research uh, the question of whether these uh, groups' radicalization will be on the left part of the political spectrum or on the right one? Because in, in Europe, we can see now that it's a phenomenon for the rise of the extreme right political groups. And I was wondering mm -hmm. if these groups are correlated to the right extremism. I think the end, I know we're not collecting that data now. I think we probably will not collect that data. What we do have is we, we consider whether uh, the diaspora is plugged in, it is got really good relations with one party or another within the host country. So if the party, if if the diaspora is really plugged into the Democrats, we know that, and and that might suggest something. But uh, in terms of what the political shades are in the host country, whether it's you know an emerging right wing government or left wing government, we don't get into that uh, because left wing governments. I mean, we have variables again for repression for other things that the, gov the governments are doing that are generic. Right-wing governments, left-wing governments can both engage in repression. Um, so I don't, I, that's an interesting question. Would be, are diasporas going to be sensitive in their political activity to which party is in power at the homeland? And, and I guess, because again, we're <coughs> constrained by the exercise, how, how many things we're looking at. Uh, it's not something we capture directly, we have to capture it directly. Um, are you looking at when a group is like temporarily in a neighboring country because of a war and then they mobilize in that country as a so-called diaspora to fight back? And then if you are, then the indicators that you have so far, like political participation in the host country, if they have media, etc., are kind of nullified because they're there for, you know, this period of months, and how are you, are you looking at that at all? Um, I would say that, in general, no, the, those, if, if they're just temporary, I mean, you know, then you know, the, 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 we probably don't capture them in the data set. Um, but that's something we have to pay attention to because what is temporary ends up being not so temporary. Uh, so if we were to code, for instance, uh, and we're not going to, 
But if we were to go with, let's say, Lebanon or Jordan, we would definitely say that there are diasporas in those countries that were supposed to be temporary, uh, but haven't been. Uh, and we, we would code up diasporas, even though, you know, there's some of them are ones where are the borders change, and some of them are ones where they fled. Um, uh, so, um, the, we won't run into that problem too much because we are focused only on advanced democracies. And as a general rule, advanced democracies are not next to tribal zones. There's sort of a causal relationship in that, but... Um, if we include Turkey, that's when we'll have a problem. Um, but every other advanced democracy I think of isn't bordering uh, a conflict. Maybe like uh, Australia with Cambodia. Yeah, you could count that. yeah. No, if you go to Australia, if you go to Australia for Cambodia, you're a diaspora. Yeah, and there's all you, you can't, you know, you, as a base of operation, Australia is pretty lousy. Uh, it's, it's not the same kind of thing as like Rwanda and the DRC, or. But you're not looking at those. But we're not looking at those countries, so we're we're saving ourselves some problems by having. Supplementation on, on this ambitious project. We're not looking at every country on the planet. Um, so. Just as a thought, are you, are you going to be looking at competition? So, which could go either way. Either they've been, you know, the Congress has been captured by the Armenian lobby, or, you know, and so there's no looking, or the Armenian lobby is there, so the Turkish lobby has to. Get going. Is that something you, you're able to look at? Uh, in the, uh, we have again. We have variables to say whether a, a part, whether a group is aligned with a party. Um, but we're not going to be able to say, okay, the Armenians are aligned. Let's say the Armenians are aligned with the Republicans, which I believe they are. Um, we're, we're not going to have in that line of data anything about whether the Turks are 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 also, uh, you know. Subject to a party, you know. So I, I we can't really capture that. I think we can. We have data. We have codes for whether the group is there. Whether there's competition between the groups. Mm -hmm. Again, it goes back to the cohesive question: Is there the representation cohesive or is it com competitive? Because you can imagine an ethnic outbidding dynamic. If you've got two different diaspora, two different groups trying to represent the diaspora, they may outbid each other to be the best, most sincere, most extreme supporter of their homeland. Right. We're doing more than they are. They're just. Uh, Casual Kurds, or they're just fake, you know. But we're the real ones because we just ship three tanks. Or whatever. Uh, but in terms of offsetting, I mean, this is a important question for effectiveness. Mm -hmm. It may be also important for mobilization, but I'm not so sure. But for effective, if we really need effectiveness, I mean, one of the interesting things about the, the Yugoslav wars is that the American Congress was getting hit constantly by Serb Americans, Croatian Americans, and Muslim Americans. And so every congressperson would look at the district and figure out, okay, they all said each other. I can't do anything right, I'll just stay out of this. Uh, or maybe I just had one. So you know, there's some congresspeople who are clearly from certain district. They're the only minority that existed from, from that conflict or serves. So they took a strong, strong line. But yeah, they can offset. But I can't really get it. Okay, then if there is no more questions, uh, we are finishing.
Thank you very much for coming and thank you very much for coming and very good, interesting presentation. Thanks for your feedback, it was all very valuable. I will talk to my co-authors.